Hello, Bloody Disgusting Podcast. My name is Zach, and I hail from Central Florida. So sometimes when I'm watching horror movies, I think it's fun to think of characters that I would recap. Some that I thought of recently were um, Sophia Lillis could play Carrie from Carrie, Taraji P. Henson as Sarah Evers from The Haunted Mansion, or sometimes I like to think of funny ones like Danny DeVito uh, as Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. So my question is, if you could recast any character from any movie, what would it be and why? Thanks, guys. I love the podcast. Bye. Thanks, Zach. I can honestly say that I've thought of this before and I don't have a witty response to suddenly pull out because I feel like I've I feel like I've said amazingly funny things to my wife and then I don't write them down and they're just lost and then I'd probably ask her and she'd be like that that wasn't funny it's a good thing you forgot that <laughs> uh so my knee-jerk reaction instead of just pawning this off on Megan and Zena right away to buy myself time is more than anything I would like to see horror movies that just didn't quite work just get a relaunch with the exact same character and the one that jumps to my mind is jackie earl haley in freddy for the reboot of nightmare on elm street because i love jackie earl haley like everything he's been in like from bad news bears like his kind of resurgence back with the watchman the reboot of Mm -hmm. robocop like he's great he's a great actor really just excellent character development, like delivery. Nightmare on Elm Street was just felt like such a strange, I don't know, retelling, mm-hmm. kind of a combination of homage to the original and, uh, I don't know, it just, it didn't work for me. And there was like just kind of weird CGI. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with Freddy's face because he looked like a burn victim. He yeah. looked like an actual burn victim. Mm-hmm. Like they looked at burn victims and like, oh, this is what he would look like. Um, I would just more like to see like a less studio interfer- interference movie with maybe uh, um, greater appreciation for the source material or a completely different retelling. Like go the complete opposite direction where Freddie was actually innocent <laughs> and they burned him anyway. And that's why he's pissed. Like you can take who he was out of it because him being a child killer in the original and then a, a pedophile in the later versions or whatever doesn't really matter in the first few freddies at least like they touch on it like Mm -hmm. why he died like that's the vehicle for him dying but it's not part of his actual character development because he's just a horrible killer who will kill you in your dreams it could be any reason i just wonder if fans would suddenly be like no that's not right he's supposed to be evil like i don't know i kind of like the idea that he comes back because he was wrongfully killed as opposed to like mob mentality or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's more stuff like that. It's not necessarily a different actor as much as I just like the idea of, Oh God, less studio interference. <laughs> like let's just give it another shot. Like they had, they had it, they had something there. Let's give it something else to it. I don't know. How about Megan Zena? You probably have way better answers than me. No, I, I thought your answer was, you answered it well. That's a good point. Well, crap. Now we got nowhere to go. I guess that's the end of the show. <laughs> okay, bye. I, I blanked. I mean, I couldn't really think of something in the sense that, like, I never really think about this. I never think about who would I rather see in this role because usually I'm buying what the actor is selling. But I did think about recasting, how, you know, mm-hmm. sequels or remakes will, will sometimes recast the actor. And a lot of times it ends up working. You know, I like... 
Tommy Jarvis in part six better than the Tommy Jarvis in part five, but I think it works for both. <laughs> Except, sure. as much as I like Julianne Moore, she is not a very good Clarice Starling. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked to see somebody else in that role. Even Jodie Foster. Um, but also put Samara Weaving in everything. So that's the only other thing I got is I don't mind. Put put her in everything. <laughs> I have a kitten skin yeah, on my back. Her, her Sarah Paulson, uh, Tony Collette. <laughs> like, yeah. Just there, there are scream queens now anyway. Like have at it. Go. Yeah. Whatever's going on. Next. Well, kind of like Megan, I don't really think about that, but then I had to go back and, and just rethink um, with movies that, that I that I really like or that I just watched and just my thoughts on that. So the first one that came to mind, Disturbing Behavior from 1998. Honestly, mm-hmm. I would replace Katie Holmes' character. She plays Rachel. And it's I'm not the biggest Katie Holmes fan when it comes to acting sometimes um i think that she's she's very beautiful um i loved her in dawson creek you know when i used to watch it but i would replace her with danielle harris because i feel like she would have been perfect for that role she was kind of like around the same age as the character and i just see her being like an awesome like punked out alternative rachel kind of like her urban legend goth girl yeah Yes, like she she did that. Um, And then with another one, I think that this could be like pretty cool just because I simply love Angela Bassett. I really love the movie Dead Silence from 2007. And I love the character Mary Shaw. So kind of like swap it out just to see, you know, how she would do with that role. Um, Judith Roberts, who played Mary Shaw, she did a great job. She did an amazing, awesome job. But I'm just curious just to see. I think it could be something a little bit different, you know. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And then um, I really liked the movie The Loved Ones uh, from 2009. And mm-hmm. I thought the main girl, um, Robin McLevy, who played Lola Stone, mm-hmm. she did an awesome job. But I also love Christina Ricci. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I think that she could be pretty cool in that role. Well, they're redoing the, they're rebooting The Addams Family, aren't they? Are they? I thought I heard that they were re. Maybe that's just been a rumor for the longest time. And if Christina Ricci doesn't play Morticia Adams, it'll be just the (laughs) saddest thing. Yeah. I think I saw that meme. It was like Remy Malik and and Christina Ricci as as Gomez and Morticia. It's like, oh, that'd be perfect. That would be. So call to. Hey, this is Megan. I'm calling from Pennsylvania. Um, I just wanted to see if you had any recommendations for movies that are witchy, satanic, ritualistic type things. Um, The only limitation that I would put on that is that I would not like any recommendations that are older than the 70s as I really cannot get into movies older than that. I know this is Zena's thing, so if you have any recommendations for witch, satanic movies, I would like to hear what you all think. Thanks. Bye. Awesome question, Megan. Thanks so much. I absolutely just have to defer to the master on this one. <laughs> Zena, what do you got? Well, of course, I'm going to be interested in you guys' opinions on this, but um, I do have a couple. First one, Starry Eyes from 2014. That's very mm-hmm. modern. It's very awesome. Allison's Birthday from 1981. We, I previously spoke to you guys about that, and I'm just really happy just to mention it again. I'm going to rewatch mm-hmm. it tonight. 
Um, (laughs) Invitation (laughs) to Hell, uh, the 1984 one, not the 1982 one starring Susan Lucci. That one's really cool. Um, The Sentinel, that one's from the 70s, 1977. Mm -hmm. Summer of Fear from 1978. It's directed by Wes Craven. It is, and it's based off a Lois Duncan novel. It is very witchy, but there is some, you know, devil-y stuff going on. Um, Satan's School for Girls from 1973. And there is a 2000 version starring Shannon Doherty. But I prefer the original, but that one's still great too. Um, And then the last one, The House of the Devil from 2009. So hopefully you enjoy those if you haven't seen some or any. Megan, how about you? Um, I thought about the dark a dark song. That's Ooh. pure ritual. So I highly recommend that one. Kill list. Um, oh, I was I was gonna say that, but I didn't know if it counted. I feel like it does, although you know you don't really know that at first. But it's it goes still to if some you like places. if you like satanic ritualistic type movies, watch the yes. Kill List. Kill List is amazing. Um, 1987's The Believers with Martin Sheen. Oh yeah, and um, this one kind of bends it a little bit because I feel like it's more paganish than satanic but apostle i love that movie mm. oh, so yeah, much for sure yeah. and then i always think it's a little bit of a stretch because it's not necessarily satanic but i like the ritual mm-hmm. um from what is it 2018 that's on netflix um i guess you could i i still kind of count event horizon because it still kind of counts towards mm-hmm. the end it's, it's it definitely, definitely satanic a, yeah it definitely has a satanic bent towards the end um those are the ones that kind of topped in my head. But yeah, like one of the first things that immediately popped in my head was Kill List. And I just remember watching that and being like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's a dark, dark movie. That, what you start yeah. out watching is not where you end up. So It is not. And even as dark as you think it starts, yeah, <laughs> it goes further. So yeah, those are... I think those are some pretty solid suggestions. And because Zena listed a ton of them, feel free to email us at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. We'll get the list to you. Or evidently, just go on Letterboxd, and there's an entire list of all the movies we watch on there. Yeah. Which is amazing. So whoever the listener is out there who's doing that, you are awesome. Yes, thank you so much. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone. The podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as the lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist, Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hello, hello. And you know her from her YouTube channel and website, Real Queen of Horror, and for her infinite love for the genre, Zena Dixon. Hey, Zena. Hey. And I'm John. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week is filled with all the best kinds of horror. If not, we're going to do a quick round the table for all the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. Zeno, what's been filling your heart this week? So I checked out The Red Queen Kills Seven Times on Amazon from 1972. This was a first time watch for me. Um, it's basically about two sisters who inherit their family's castle that is supposedly haunted by the murderous ancestors. When their friends begin disappearing, they suspect that there might be some truth to the rumors. So this one, it is an Italian gothic horror made in the 70s, but it feels very 60s. And it feels, you know, something that Dario Argento would have directed. Um, I feel like it's very hypnotic like I felt the entire time I was kind of in a trance but in a good way I mean obviously I'm talking about it (laughs) um (laughs) there's uh supernatural and gothic elements and um the soundtrack is so cool 
uh, Bruno Nicoli, he created like the score. And I feel like it's like a mixture between like modern and gothic, but then also this just like a hint of funk. And it, it sounds weird, but it, it goes. It's just like, you know, I put on the mood. And then th- when that music came on, I, I I thought maybe it like switched or something. I don't know. But yeah, it was it was really great. And even though in the title, you know, obviously it promises like seven, you know, kills. We get more. We get more than seven. So you can't even complain about that. Uh, but yeah, if you. <laughs> it over delivers. Yeah. It's like if, if you like Italian horrors. Um, you know, this, this is a movie with, you know, complicated characters. At first, I'm not going to lie. I thought I knew what was going to happen, but it kind of took a, took a strange turn, but it went in an opposite direction. Visually, it's beautiful. Like the shots are amazing. There are so many creepy shots. Um, since I only watched it once, I have to say, like, I really need to like watch it again because I felt like I missed some stuff. You know how it is. You just watch it one time and there's so much that you probably missed out on, but she was a busy queen. Yeah, she uh, was she. It's just it, it has such a cool, again, a cool storyline because um, they kind of give you like this urban legend about these two girls, like their family. And it's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know why you'd be be telling like eight year olds a creepy story like that about sisters killing each <laughs> well, other. Well, if they're in Zena's sure. family, you might. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't know why. I, listen, Remember last week's recommendation? <laughs> Okay, but I wouldn't tell a five-year-old like, "Hey, your aunt, you said and o- eight. your great aunt or great grandma, you know, she murdered her sister. So you better watch out. Like, you could watch. I don't it. know. I could see you doing that. You're like the up on the shelf in your family. It's different. It's different because it's kind of like you can watch it on the screen, but you won't hear me telling you a spooky tale about some lady going around in red stabbing people." So, that so you would just put it on camera and then sit the five-year-old down in front of it. I wouldn't put it on camera, yes. but if they found it and they wanted to watch it, feel free to express yourself. That's how I feel. <laughs> All right. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it is a, a, it's a bizarre story, but I promise that the payoff, it's worth it. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not predictable as I thought. And um, this director, he also uh, directed, he wrote and directed uh, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave like a mm. year before. And I really dug that movie as well. So I really yeah, love the, like Italian horror titles, you know, like The Night Evelyn right? Came Out of the Grave or The Red <laughs> Queen Kills Seven Times, Four <laughs> Flies on blah, blah, blah. Like they're insanely long, but they're catchy. So catchy. It's very, it's it's very much like the way creepypastas have shifted, like especially on the No Sleep subreddit. Uh, there was actually a, a a fairly popular creepypasta writer who who, te- who did a little experiment. He took a story that he'd written like a couple of years ago that didn't get very many upvotes, and he posted it over again with a completely different title. Mm-hmm. And it's very it's very No Sleep to have a really long sentence for your title. So all he did was rename the sentence, and he got, like, five times as many upvotes. Wow. Like, Catchy titles. You're not good with short, succinct titles. Nobody wants them. Like, <laughs> a really long title, people get really curious. It's really fascinating, and it's really frustrating because I don't like reading long titles for, like, my narration <laughs> intros. So I almost always ask the author, "Can you do you have something shorter so I don't have to say... The time my grandma stepped into the bathroom and never came out again, and my parents had just goes on and on. Sounds so much more intriguing than just grandma. The bathroom. (laughs) 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 
It does. I mean, yes, and <laughs> there, there, there's a line for me personally. That's just me. Obviously, other to to each their own. And Fair. apparently, with with this movie, uh, the Red Queen kills seven times. There are so many other titles. Like, yeah. So I I won't get into. It. I guess that it is what it is. But okay. So that was the first thing. Uh, the next thing I just checked out a body on Shutter from 2015. On Christmas Eve, a night turns out deadly when three girls break into a seemingly empty mansion. So I'll admit. Um, I thought I knew what this was going to be about. I thought I knew how it was going to go. I thought it was going to be like super bloody and gory, um, but it is not. But that still doesn't make it, you know, doesn't make it not great because I really enjoyed it. Um, the girls, you know, like the first half of the movie, I want to say they really sell their friendship. You believe their their strong bond. And there's not a lot of, again, there's not a lot of blood. There's some blood, but not a lot. There's not like hardcore violence um, or action, but I feel like it's more disturbing than anything. That's and it's psychological. It's your favorite. Yes, but it's it's also just kind of deceptive, like mm-hmm. just just a lie. Like I don't want to spoil it, but these girls they try to cover something up, and yeah. it made me feel uncomfortable. You know, so. Uh, just the way that they, they went about it was just, again, just disgusting and dark and just, it really did surprise me. And it's fun that there, there was actually a couple of twists in there that I didn't see coming because Mm. with the synopsis, or even if you did watch the trailer or something like that, it's just kind of like you, you might think that you know where it's going to go. Um, at least I thought I did, but again, it's, it surprised me. I was really surprised, but overall, I do feel like it was very well made. Um, the acting was great because honestly, for the most part, it was just these three girls that we see on the screen and the script was very straightforward, but it was well-crafted. And, um, if you like kind of like those slow thriller horrors, um, that's very grim, uh, you may enjoy this one. And plus it kind of, it made me ask, like, okay, what would I do? I mean, and you know how people are, like, hey, what would you do if you was in this situation? What would you do if there was a killer in the woods? Oh, well, I wouldn't be in the woods. Okay, so what would you do if you were with some friends <laughs> and, you know, something like this happened? Of course, there is a way to, just to the decision-making, I don't want to give it away. The decision-making, it just goes downhill. Like, I don't understand it. I I don't get it, but... Again, you know, I really did enjoy it, and it is full of very, like, suspense. It's very suspenseful, and it's intense. And for some reason, um, the girls, they like to scream in each other's faces. I don't know why. <laughs> so they never mentioned that why. But, yeah, that's that's what I watched. So there you go. What about you, Megan? I watched The Spider Labyrinth. It is a 1988 Italian horror movie. I watched this on YouTube. It's on the White Slaves of Chinatown Redux channel, which... Sorry, come again? <laughs> yeah. Well, White Slaves of Chinatown is a movie. So okay. <laughs> the, it's a play on, on this obscure movie. And that's exactly what this channel is, is complete, hard-to-find, out-of-print, obscure, deep-cut titles of mm. all over, not even just films. So, yeah, I highly recommend subscribing if you are... Um, wanting some obscure stuff and that's exactly what this was um 
The plot basically is a young professor gets sent by his senior colleagues to Budapest to find a lost colleague and figure out what the heck happened to this guy. He was researching something and then he, you know, communication stopped. And so they're like, you go figure it out. And he gets tangled up in a web of mystery. I am totally, that's an intentional pun. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. It's a very, very odd movie. It's Lovecraftian, but it's not actually a Lovecraft story. And it takes forever to build. It's it's a short movie. I think it's like an hour, 30 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes. It's it's pretty standard. And it takes him forever. It's like this slow build of him traveling around Budapest. He has the hots for the professor's young assistant. Things happen. There seems to be like a web of um, like almost kind of underground tunnels and murder and a whole bunch of people that he encounters. It's like, you're in danger. You want to go home. And he just pluckily keeps going about his way as if they never warned him. And of course, things build. And it really is this insane finale that kind of makes this movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what I watched by the end of it. And I like it. <laughs> it's It's got crazy special effects, like stop motion animation and this bizarre... Se- I mean, Lovecraftian is the best explanation because you watch it and it's this slow kind of creepy build of people explaining, hey, you're about to encounter horror and this plucky like professor that just dumbfoundedly makes all the wrong decisions. And then it's like, here, crazy horror in the end. What happened? Don't know. Here you go. So, yeah, that's that's the spider labyrinth on YouTube. And then I watched Misery because it just celebrated its 30th anniversary. So I read the book and I watched the movie. And uh, I don't know what else to say about it that probably hasn't already been said. I watched it on Blu-ray because it's not available to stream. You can rent it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's kind of expensive. Obviously came out in 1990, released 30 years ago, right after, after Thanksgiving. So what a, what a great holiday movie. Um, (laughs) It's the movie that Kathy Bates won an Oscar for because she's mm-hmm. res- she played Annie Wilkes, who rescued author Paul Sheldon from a car crash and decides to nurse him back to health. But she's his number one fan. And so she tortures him and forces him to rewrite the ending to a novel that she hated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just really good. I know a lot of people talk about this being kind of a predictive commentary on toxic fandom. But I don't really necessarily agree with that in the sense that the entire movie, well, the book first and then the movie, is based on Stephen King's personal life in, in that he was having kind of this toxic fandom experience. And this was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So it was always around. It was around well before even King. So it, that reminds me that 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 just makes me think of like the Blair Witch Project. And people talking about the cliches in it. It's like, no, it doesn't. It's it's the first one to do it. Yeah. Like you're calling it cliches in hindsight looking back on it, but that's not how it works. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, feel like Misery's the exact same way. Yeah. I don't think that anybody's calling it cliche, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, but it, I mean, it is whatever, predictive. Yeah. It's not really, it's more timeless than predictive because toxic yeah. fandom in some extent has always been around and always will. It's just kind of amplified these days because people have a bigger, 
you know, mic stand with social media so they can reach it. But more than just toxic fandom, I think it's a codependency between a creator and their fans because they may be vocal and and toxic to an extent, but you know, creator needs fans too to thrive. So it's just interesting, very interesting subtext that, you know, how well King stories like this hold up over time. And I think a lot of that has to do with how personal they are, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It's the depth of characterization that's so difficult to translate into his movies from his books, you know, like the, especially like in the novel of misery, like the depths of, of addiction, that Paul yeah. deals with and like the waves crashing that happens over and over again and being fed into that because of Annie and then he'll do whatever he can. Well, to Annie is his addiction and it's, she's a yeah. metaphor. There's a duality to, to this. So, so it's so difficult. I know like people can, it's easy to slam Stephen King adaptations for one way or another. Like if you try and t- stay too close to it, it's not going to land because there's too much internally happening to the characters, the portrait. And if you veer too far away from the plot to try and create its own thing, then you're not doing justice to the source material. It's a very difficult line to tread that people obviously have no problem continuing to try over and over and over again with his entire catalog. But Rob Reiner knows what he's doing. But also Rob Mm. Reiner, you know, between this and and Stand By Me, he he obviously Mm. infuses a lot more hope than I think King does in his original story. I mean, I think... (laughs) You know, Misery, when you read the novel, they start out as pretty, both of them are pretty terrible characters right off the bat, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas they're a lot more empathetic in the movie. And there's a whole difference between the hobbling scene in the movie Mm -hmm. and the (laughs) axe in the novel. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, And then last but not least, I played Maneater. It was on sale for probably like the holiday sales um it's like 12 bucks at best buy it's i got it for playstation 4 just came out earlier this year um and i don't think it's really classified as a horror but for me it's terrifying you play (laughs) as a baby bull shark out for revenge against like this shark hunter that basically kills your mother and rips you out of her belly and tosses you into the water and so Mm. you're basically chomping along and feeding on the the wildlife while avoiding a prey you know, other predators and seeking revenge. You're trying to grow big and strong and get revenge. Hmm. But I am terrified of aquatic things. And so I have been very slow to play this game because I will freak the flip out, you know, when I encounter an alligator or whatever else. And I spaz and yeah. So it's not really a horror game, but if you're like me, it is. And I like it anyway. So that's what I did. So I decided to continue on my Brady Hendrix, uh, like, discovery, I suppose. I started reading My Best Friend's Exorcism. Yay. Uh, I only got a little way into it with the holiday weekend and everything else. I just didn't have very much quiet time to sit down and read. Plus, I do have a little barrier of entry to get over. I don't like, I have a really difficult time, and this is in movies or books, dealing with high school or developmental age drama ah. like like the movie mean girls is the worst movie to show me is it funny yes it's a, I, I get it yes it's supposed to be funny it makes me cringe so hard through the whole thing like i don't want to be reminded of any awkwardness growing up i'm past it i'm an adult don't make me <laughs> so little barrier to entry i'll get past it 
can't wait to read more because he's an excellent writer. He is. And uh, you'll, it'll get better. I promise. Yeah. yeah. No, and I know it will. Like, it's just we're, we're just setting the stage for, like, early, yeah. like, developmental yeah, like the friend creating the f- friendship bond and everything else. I get it. I'm just, <laughs> it's going to take me a second. I'll get there. Understand. Uh, as far as what I was watching, I started out with uh, 2019's Underwater on Ooh, HBO. I like this one. Which Megan may or may not have a pull quote for on the Blu ray DVD. Spoiler, you I might do. Have to buy it to see yourself. <laughs> A group of workers on a drilling facility at the bottom of the ocean encounter something horrible after an earthquake destroys the facility, and they fight to survive. So I watched this. This is fun. So the last thing before, like the last movie I saw in the theaters was Knives Out. And it was literally a coin flip. I hadn't seen a movie in the theaters for I don't know how long. And it was literally a coin flip between this and Underwater. And Twitter, when I was still on it, told me Knives Out. And they were right. Knives Out's a wonderful movie. Um, I would have, I think I would have rather seen Underwater in the theater, though. Yeah. And the reason is, is I've now seen it twice. And HBO just uh, released it to stream on Amazon or HBO app or whatever. But both times I've watched it, I've watched it on a computer monitor. And I don't think it's the right way to watch this movie. Like, I really think, like, maybe even tonight after this, I might go and just sit down in my living room, turn off the lights, and just watch that. Because the underwater effects, like, once they're actually in those underwater scenes, it's the blurry graininess of it. It's very disorienting, which it's supposed to be anyway. You're bottom of the ocean. It it has the confusion and everything else, which is great. But if you're not viewing it the right way, it's pretty it takes more effort to watch those scenes. Yeah. Because you're like, well, wait, did they see something? If there's a little bit of a glare on a, you know, like a 14-inch monitor or whatever, all of a sudden it's like, what the hell just happened? Um, but I do, but I I love, it's funny because the idea of being underwater, no. Yeah. I'm not going to, I scuba dived once. I'm like, that's enough. I did it once. <laughs> never doing that again. Um, or like spelunking, like, I, I, I can't stand the idea of those, but I love those movies. Yeah. Because the environment is turned against you. So, and, and that's kind of the what I love about Underwater is there really isn't conflict amongst the survivors. No. There's minor arguments, but they're all just trying to survive. Yep. And like there, there, there is, they have their own backstories and their own stuff that they're dealing with, whatever. But they, you didn't need to contrive additional issues with them. You didn't have to create drama just for the sake of drama. It's like, no, they're at the bottom of the ocean. Like, there's bad stuff that's going to happen anyway. We got that. And then when you add the external horror on top of being underwater, like, that's fine. That's perfect. Go. So, And it's by far my favorite Kristen Stewart movie. I haven't watched a lot of her stuff, probably for a reason that I just didn't like performances that I've seen in the past, but it's very, like, I think it lends itself very well to her strengths of subtlety and just. I don't think she gets enough credit and I I won't go into this because I obviously don't want to spoil it for people who haven't watched it. And I highly recommend you do. Um, But there's a key thing that happens in the third act 
that she mm-hmm. was adamant happened, and it makes the movie better for it. Yeah. And I again, yeah, I, I don't want to say yeah. what it is, but she has yeah. good instincts, and yeah, she has a distinct style of acting. But you know, it's it's interesting that you know she and Robert Pattinson both made it. You know, they they got famous for the Twilight movies, which are terrible, like because the books are terrible. I apologize because if they're... you enjoy them. More yeah. power to you, and I'm happy, but I, I think they're terrible. I do, Megan. I uh, do. Do you? Well, good. So there you go. You are you are my balance here. But right. my point <laughs> is that they both, that afforded them to make some pretty crazy choices and pretty bold choices with their acting career. And I think he gets more applauded for it, and she usually shunned, but I think they're both great is my point. Um, and Underwater absolutely was meant to be seen on the big screen, especially for yeah. a big re- moment that happens that I, again, yeah. will not spoil. But seeing that on yeah. the big screen was amazing. Well, and like you saying, like, uh, they got big on, like, Twilight and it gave them the opportunity to make other choices yes. with their acting careers. Yeah. Uh, that reminded me, like, Daniel Radcliffe. Like, his first thing after Harry Potter was he started in Equus on stage. Yeah. And, and, and he started nude. It's like, wait, he went from Harry Potter. It's like, I think, and I think it's very common. It's like you see with like, um, like Disney Channel stars. Yeah. They suddenly want to like, they want to get tattooed and they want to be wild and they want to be like, I'm not that. Mm -hmm. So they could, it's very interesting to see some of the choices of these child actors or these young, they became famous because of these roles. Yeah. But I mean, like big franchise like Twilight or Harry Potter gave them the bank to be able to branch out. So, mm. you know, whether you mm. like it or don't like it, I'm never going to be mad at it because it let them go crazy with their careers yeah. after. Uh, which reminds me, I need to see Daniel Radcliffe and Guns Akimbo. That's been on my list forever, but that's not horror. So I'll move on. Uh, this one's been on my list for a long time. Um, just, be, But again, it's foreign language, so just didn't. Uh, 2015's Entity. It's a found footage movie. It's available on Amazon. There's a lot of movies called Entity on Amazon. This one is uh, Peru. It's uh, Spanish language found footage. A found footage movie where a group of students study reaction videos and are led towards an old film hidden in an archive room of a cemetery. It appears that everyone who's witnessed the film has met an untimely demise under suspicious circumstances. When the students view the footage, they discover firsthand what the demonic spirit is capable of, fulfilling the ancient curse. Okay, so by the time I got to the end of that, I'm like, God, that does sound hokey, doesn't it? But it works. And one, I love haunted stuff, mm-hmm. uh, haunted objects specifically, uh, haunted films, lost films, stuff like that. Like, like if if the if the Nicolas Cage movie Eight Millimeter didn't go the direction it was gonna go, just the concept of him trying to find the film like that. Like, I like that, that lost stuff, that unearthed, uh, cursed, whatever. It just, it absolutely works for me on so many levels. Like, well, like the VHS anthology, mm-hmm. like the basic very first one where, well, I guess the second one too, but just like the videotapes. Yeah. We got to find this tape and this tape that's like messing, they don't know that's like messing people up. Like, I love it. It's such a simple, like, it doesn't necessarily need further explanation because it's just become its own thing. You know, like, it do- you don't need to know where it came from. Like, it's cursed. <laughs> okay. Like, it works for me. It, it's pretty simple. Um, the concept's not too crazy by any means. There's a co- It gets a little bit silly with a uh, soundtrack. 
there's a couple of scenes where they decide to like add stingers and sound effect or in like music. And it's like, what are you, mm. what are you doing? <laughs> Found footage. What are you doing? But that said, it's very easy watch. It's like 90 minutes. If that, um, pretty basic, but some solid, solid scares, but not too bad. I don't know. I, I think I've just been kind of desperate to find found footage movies that I haven't watched that I like. Aww. So maybe I'm giving it more credit because there still is an asshole in it <clears throat> at the very <laughs> beginning. But he's not hes not so bad he can't get past. But, yeah. So, and that was it. I Busy week, holiday, everything else. I literally just watched those two things that were horror-related. Um, although I, I did start watching Truth Seekers. And I think I need to watch more of that on Amazon because that's crazy funny. I just haven't watched enough of it to to actually give a review. So quick round the table. What did we watch? How do we watch it? So I checked out The Red Queen Kill Seven Times on Amazon and Body on Shudder. I watched uh, The Spider Labyrinth on YouTube. It's the White Slaves of Chinatown Redux channel and Misery on Blu-ray. And I played Maneater on... Man Eater on PS4. And I started reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Brady Hendricks. Uh, watched 2019's Underwater on HBO and 2015's Entity on Amazon. And then once again, thank you to whoever keeps filling this stuff out on Letterboxd. Maybe we, I'll find the link and I'll throw it in the show notes or something so people can see the, the list and bookmark it and go back to it so you can see all the, the list of our movies. Anyway, enough of what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. Megan. Real quick, on Friday, um, Freaky releases on VOD. So Bloody Disgusting is hosting a Twitter watch party with the cast and crew under uh, using the hashtag GetFreakyAtHome. So keep an eye out nice. for start time, you know, and details on Twitter. Um, Capcom announced a cross-promotion with Paul W.S. Anderson's Monster Hunter. So it's almost like, what is that? The Ouroboros, the, the tail, the snake eating its tail type situation yeah. where it's well, like. Cause cause, isn't it based off a of video game? Exactly. This, this movie <laughs> is based on Capcom's video game series. So I guess it makes sense that Capcom is doing a tie in to the movie that's based on the games. So the movie is set to release in theaters and I'm IMAX on Christmas um, ahead of its release starting Thursday, December 3rd you'll be able to embark on a two-part event quest in Monster Hunter Iceborne, featuring the Black Diablos and Greater Rathalos, two monsters featured in the movie. That's Greek to me because I have no familiarity with (laughs) with either. Um, The special bonus item will be available, and there's a player skin based on Mila Jovovich's character Captain Artemis, and she voices the video game version of her. Um, As for the movie... The plot sees uh, Lieutenant Artemis and her unit transported to a new world via sandstorm. The the soldiers are shocked to discover that this hostile and unknown environment is home to enormous and terrifying monsters immune to their firepower. And, yeah, so it just looks like a huge Paul W.S. Anderson monster mashup. And being that I have no familiarity with the games, I don't know. It could be fun. I mean the the cast. That's... Have you guys checked out the cast? Who's in well? Who's in the movie? Like it seemed like it's a great cast. I mean, I'm sold yeah, with in... anything Ron Perlman does personally. And to- I love Tony Jaa, yeah. so I'm down for that too. I'm I'm more fascinated that Capcom is making this level of a commitment 
for, uh, I know this is going to sound so reductive, but for a Paul W.S. Anderson movie. Well, it's like a movie. I, know I mean, it's obviously, based it's a big him, blockbuster but... type spectacle. And it just, I feel yeah. like it's an easy way for them because we've all been stuck at home this year. And mm-hmm. I think gaming I has been a default for, form of entertainment in a way that, like, more so now than it has been in, in recent years. So I feel like it's an mm-hmm. easy draw to get, you know, inject some new life into it. I don't know. It makes sense. And I do think it's funny. It's like Capcom is doing movie promotion for a movie that's based on their game. So I don't know. Maybe you just want to play as Mila Jovovich. I hope it works. So if not, I mean, it sounds like a fun event for people who are already playing. Yeah, why not? Sure. Um, and Jay-Z is producing Netflix thriller 40 Acres. So Netflix is in early development on the feature film adaptation of Dwayne Alexander Smith's novel 40 Acres, which Luke Cage creator Chio Hodari Choker will write. Hmm. Um, Jay-Z, Ooh. interestingly, is among the producers. So I don't know. I didn't do a digging, but I don't know that he's produced films before. If not, definitely not like Thriller. Um, but 40 Acres follows a civil rights attorney who must fight for survival when he's invited to join an elite black organization with a mind-blowing secret. They're dedicated to the preservation of the institution of slavery. But this time around, the black men are called master. The thriller is described as being a cross between the firm and get out. So that's the part that, that I thought was interesting is that they're they're using Get Out. Get Out has been used a lot since it came out, you know, to describe mm-hmm. <laughs> new releases. Antebellum was, you know, mm-hmm. Get Out. Um, the novel, though, was released in 2014. Get Out was released in 2017. So I feel like it's an interesting real-time example of how you have a highly successful original hit that becomes clear inspiration or or at the very least a marketing tool for new waves of films inspired by you know, something like Get Out. You know, it's kind of like Scream it, inspired a whole new wave of, of slashers that tried to capitalize on Scream's success. It's the same thing, I feel. Well, it was like calling uh, it was like calling Wilt Chamberlain the Michael Jordan of his time. Like, well, no. Right. He was first. Right. Like, what so are you this, talking about? This story like, was pre-Get Out, but we're going to use yeah. Get Out because it's an easy sell as a marketing tool. So I'm curious how much more mileage could that get? Yeah, but you know, I know a couple of other movies, kind of like what you said. They they use that same line right. as well. But yeah, I don't know. I I think it sounds pretty interesting. You know, um, like like the mixture of it and um, with Jay Z, I know that he's produced before. I don't know about a thriller, kind of like what you right. said. But um, there was something that he did. It was like a, a series. It's kind of like a drama sci fi. He oh. was like an executive producer on it, and he uh, produced a couple of other things too. Well, more than a couple of other things. So I don't know. I think that this could be, you know, a step in a new direction. I always knew that he had an interest in film, so it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Next up, Alex Garland has a low-budget horror movie in the works. So in the most recent issue of Empire Magazine, it was revealed that Alex Garland wrote and will direct a low-budget horror movie that will be set in the UK. There's no title yet. Uh, Garland's still lining up financing for it, but he's hoping to start production this coming spring or summer, depending on cast availability. So the Oscar-nominated writer had been planning a new TV series about the ineffectual and surface-level state of protest in recent years. 
But once there started being actual serious protests this summer <laughs> with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, he kind of he felt like it was a redundant idea at this point. So he tossed that out the window and pivoted to writing a horror feature instead. Um, so I bring it up not only because I like Garland's work. I love Dread. I love Sunshine. I love 28 Days Later. I love Annihilation. Mm-hmm. He's got solid stuff. So I'm super happy for, for him to return to genre feature. Um, but I thought it's a very interesting sneak peek about how current events play a direct role into horror's future. Um, it's been a crazy year. So obviously hmm. he had something planned as a TV series, but then when real life events started overshadowing what he had planned, he tossed it out the window and went to horror. But I do think that this kind of tumultuous period will inspire probably a lot of horror. So I'm just curious what you think, like what kind of horror you think it would inspire, if at all. I have no oh, idea. You, oh, just down the road. I mean, I think more personally, so horror fans, this is an unfortunately broad generalization, but I'm sure that there's plenty of horror fans out there that understand just senses of isolation. Right. Either because of the things that they enjoy or, or social limitation, whatever. So, I mean, let's face it, like concepts of, feeling trapped, Uh, like just in general, the way quarantine and isolation and social distancing and everything else is concerned, it lends itself to a deeper understanding of people who are already dealing with those levels of stress and depression in their lives. So, you know, when you see movies about just, I mean, that's one of the common threads in horror in the first place. If you dig deep enough, it is, it is isolation. You're away from someone who can help. You're away from someone who's got a gun or a phone or whatever you need to survive. And now it can be even more granular. Like people live next to me and I never see them. Yeah. I talk to them. I wear a mask if I walk by them. Um, obviously the protests can lend itself for that. Uh, the, the complete uh, distrust in media and misinformation and belief in our leadership structures. And I mean, it's it's, as much as I could say this year inspired horror. I also feel like horror is inspired this year. (laughs) I've seen this before. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because often torture porn is cited as a direct response to like 9-11 you know after that happened then horror started to get really vicious we got hostile and saw and i don't know i don't know how accurate or on the nose that is but i i do think that with like you said the isolation and the paranoia should breed a lot of good horror no matter what i think i kind of feel like we'll get a lot of everything but it'll be Mm -hmm. angry and it'll be exciting like you know basically my my gist is i think we're about to get some amazing horror in the next few years that's i like that you said i wonder it's funny because now that i think about it, i don't think of horror like anger being inherent in horror like sure i think it could be it, it, it's whatever misplaced uh, homicidal or sociological tendencies or whatever but just pure anger yeah just with things not going that's oh i like that I could see that happening a lot. 
that just being a, a more common thread in general or more surface threat is just the anger. We got a lot of feelings, and horror horror expresses them in a way I don't think other genres can can do quite as well. So, you know, I'm very excited. I love horror. Horror has been a salvation this year, and I think it will continue to be. Absolutely. And nice. in news that nobody expected, ever, ever, in everdom, uh, Peter Dinklage is set to star in Legendary's Toxic Avengers reboot. Ooh. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, Macon uh, Blair will direct. I love Macon Blair. So his attachment, in addition to Peter Dinklage, just what kind of madness is in store? I am very <laughs> curious. Um, Macon Blair, he directed Netflix's I Don't Feel at Home in, in This World Anymore. He starred in films like Blue Ruin, Murder Party, uh, Green Room, The Hunt. So I really am a huge fan of Macon Blair. Um, this is said to be a contemporary reimagining of Trauma Entertainment's successful 1984 low-budget action comedy hit. It's steeped in environmental themes and subverts the superhero genre in the vein of Deadpool. When a struggling everyman is, pu is pushed into a vat of toxic waste, he is transformed into a mutant freak who must go from shunned outcast to underdog hero as he races to save his son, his friends, and his community from the forces of corruption and greed. Troma's Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz will serve as producers. So Troma will be attached in some way, but this is not a Troma movie. Thoughts? I think that this is pretty cool um, because I wonder too with with Peter if he's like a big fan of the Toxic Adventure because I can see it going down that route. I do feel like even though the original like the whole series, of course, it's it's very cheesy and far fetched and out there, so it seems like they'll kind of keep it the same. Um, but it seemed like obviously it would be like a higher budget and they'll just modernize it, especially with you mentioning you know Deadpool and stuff. Some of the yeah. humor doesn't seem that far off. I'm a little worried they're going to CGI Peter Dinklage into the Toxic Avenger, though. Assuming he is the Toxic Avenger, because they don't outright say exactly, who he's yes. playing. They just say he's True. starring. So we don't really know definitively. I imagine that'll eventually come out, you know, who he's playing. But as of now, we don't know. Maybe he's... You know, the villain. Who knows? But, yeah. you know, awesome. I liked him as Tyrion Lannister. He's he's a good actor. Mm -hmm. um, I love yeah. Macon Blair's attachment alone has me more kind of excited about this than even Peter Dinklage's attachment. But uh, I, you know, I never in a million years would have expected a trauma movie to get a reboot like this. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's pretty cool. It obviously says a lot to how embedded the toxic avenger has has become in, in you know the pop culture pantheon so interesting very interesting news i wonder if lloyd kaufman or what he's if he's going to make any type of announcement i don't know bloody disgusting it was announced today and everything but um i wonder what his thoughts on it like how he feels like i don't know this is a great thing for him yeah i mean I'm sure he's getting money in some way. I mean, he's producing, mm -hmm. so maybe that's a thing that will fuel other trauma projects that maybe he he, you know, hadn't got. I don't know. We'll see. It's very very intriguing. But yeah. All right, listeners, your turn. Let's hear it. You excited for Monster Hunter in all its forms? Confused and excited for Peter Dinklage starring in or possibly as the Toxic Avenger? Let's hear about it. 
The number is 224-475-1040. The number is also in the show notes. We'll play our favorite message or messages at the top of next week's episode. Please limit yourself to one question or comment per call. Uh, ideally, one question. It's easier for us to respond. Um, but we love to hear from you. And if we can't get to your message next week, we'll archive it and make sure we do get to it. Finally, if there's any, if you're anything like us and you spend more than a little bit of time streaming movies on Shutter, Netflix, Amazon, and all the other services, then you're going to need a little help. And Zena's going to clue us in on what we should be watching. So what should we be watching, Zena? So we have a good amount of movies coming out this week. So the first one, The Rental, will be available on DVD on the first Tuesday, as well as coming out on the first, Beast Mode. It'll be available on VOD and DVD. Uh, this one is basically about a Hollywood agent who accidentally kills his only client in desperation. He turns to herbal remedy <laughs> that is reputed to resurrect the dead. But the cure comes with deadly consequences. So what do you think, John? <laughs> I mean, yeah. What, I mean, it sounds exactly like something I would do. <laughs> of course. And then also coming out on the 1st, we have Werewolf. It will be available on VOD and DVD. This one will focus on children who are at a Nazi concentration camp. And they mm -hmm. have to overcome hunger, thirst, and vicious dogs in an abandoned forest surrounded by the forest. Then last, that's coming out on Tuesday, the 1st, Backwoods on VOD. A high school cheerleader named Molly, she faces... <laughs> She comes face to face with the town legend, the hangman, a deformed man that's said to lynch male trespassers and keep the women as brides. That so. sounds awful. It does. Yeah, it does. That it does. It's like the dudes got out easy on that one. <laughs> I want to be a it dude does. in that movie. Hell yeah. And then coming to Shutter on the 3rd on Thursday, anything for Jackson. A couple, a Satanist couple, they kidnap a pregnant woman so they can use an ancient spell book to pull, to put their dead grandson's spirit into their, into, excuse me, into her unborn child, but end up summoning more than what they bargained for. Ah, it's a tale as old as time. Add this to your <laughs> list, Megan. It's a good one. Yeah. From our caller from earlier, Satanic Ritual. Oh, Satanic yes. Rituals. Yes. Nice. And then coming out on the 4th, Friday, Freaky, make sure you join us on Bloody Disgusting's Twitter account. We're going to have a good time using the hashtag GetFreakyAtHome. That sounds like a song. And then also... <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> and then also Castle Freak will be available on VOD um, in oh. this Stuart Gordon remake. An Albanian castle with bloodthirsty creatures is inherited by a young woman. I've been waiting for this one. And then nice. last, we have What Lies Below. On VOD, a 16-year-old girl returns home from camp and learns her mother has a new boo. One that she intends to marry. This man is charming, intelligent, handsome, and possibly not human at all. Ooh. <laughs> How romantic. <laughs> And as always, we do have Bloody Disgusting TV available. So go enjoy it. And that is the Bloody Disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on her own site, realqueenofhorror.com, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at LovelyZena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. 
Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. I have started becoming diligent about responding to those now, so they will be noticed and responded to. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. I'm Zena. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody.